obsessed with all things ovine, there is seriously something about sheep and always something new to learn about keeping, breeding and farming them. Welcome to the Sheep Show podcast. I'm Jill Noble from Holston Valley Farm and Sheep Stud and your host. The Sheep Show podcast exists to help you no matter where you are in the world, what sheep you breed, what size your flock is. This podcast will help your sheep knowledge and your shepherding confidence grow. And it's a two-way street. I love to hear from you and find out how your sheep journey is going. Contact me via Instagram at Halston Valley Farm or via email jill at halstonvalleyfarm.com.au. Come along on this episode as we explore the amazing world of sheep and sheep farming together. I don't know about you, but I try to keep every lamb that I can alive. And this is why I choose to bottle feed lambs that are rejected or orphaned or just for whatever reason, better off perhaps with me than with their mum. And I am so happy in this episode of the Sheep Show podcast to bring you a solution to one of the biggest challenges when you bottle feed lambs, which is bloat. So bloat in potty or bottle babies and how to deal with it, how to prevent it, because we know prevention is better than cure, and uh, and how perhaps if you do have to deal with it, what to actually do and who to bring this to you but says the vet. I'm not sure if you know about says, but says has an amazing YouTube channel, says the vet, and says is very passionate about small holdings and particularly small ruminant animals. So one of her areas of expertise is lambs and in particular bottle fed lambs. So please enjoy this episode with says as she talks us through some ways what exactly is bloat and ways to deal with it, prevent it and um, and and work through it if we have to deal with it from time to time with our bottle babies. Do enjoy, says. So welcome to this episode of the podcast. And I'm so excited to have with us one of the people that I follow when I want to top up my skills and my knowledge. And that is, says the vet, most of us affectionately probably know her as says the vet, but it's Sarah, Sarah Clues. Am I pronouncing your surname correctly? You are, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> and Sarah is a graduate, a vet, veterinary graduate from Massey University. So some, some of you probably will know where Massey University is, and that's in New Zealand. And Sarah uh, is a vet over there in Auckland, specializing in lifestyle blocks and, and helping people with small holdings. And Sarah also, a lot of you will know, I'm sure, has a YouTube channel where she helps us with all our veterinary challenges, particularly for us on the Sheep Show podcast, particularly with sheep, but also she provides advice on all sorts of animals on her YouTube channel, so small ruminants in particular. Nearly 50,000 downloads that, um, that Sarah's had in just one year, and she also focuses on animal behavior as well. So welcome, Sarah. Thanks for joining us on the Sheep Show podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited, Jill. This is going to be good. Now, 
I, I'm really keen to really, we're going we're, we're to talk, we've got a particular topic we're going to focus on today. We'll talk about what the topic is. But let's 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 have a little bit of chat about your YouTube channel. You've got a very particular approach and very particular philosophy to mm. how you do things. And um, so tell tell our listeners a little bit about that and particularly what led you to set up this amazing channel and and what's made you be so different, I suppose, than perhaps a lot of other vets. Oh wow, well that's a, a huge compliment just in itself. Thank you. Um I guess. So, man, if I go back, I grew up on a lifestyle block myself. um, And I just remember from my childhood, you know, despite both my parents having absolute hearts of gold, we had so many healthcare issues. Um, I hope my parents aren't listening to this, but just from a lack of knowledge, you know, not not because they didn't want to help the animals, they just didn't know what they didn't know. So it's really personal for me. I understand firsthand the additional challenges, I would say, that people face when they are only working with a small piece of land you know whether that's lifestyle block a homestead um, even smallhold farmers a lot of the information that's out there on the internet is for farmers so there's a lot of jargon there's a lot of um, you know grazing for for large pieces of land and I think that you know when people are starting out or on smaller pieces of land they often want to do absolutely the best by their animals but they're met with these additional hurdles sifting through the jargon um, you know finding reliable accurate information for what I call minority species, which you've already mentioned for me. Thank you. The goats and the pigs and the alpaca. You know, these are species that have not traditionally had focus on them because they haven't made people money in a big sense. So, you know, your goats, pigs, alpaca, really difficult to come by accurate info online. And then something I hear from people time and time again across the YouTube channel is depending where you live in the country or in the world, just finding a vet in your area that's confident in those species can be really difficult to find. And sheep can absolutely fall into that depending where you are. So, um, you know, up in the Northland of New Zealand, for example, where I'm based, we have a lot of dairy country. So sheep can sometimes take a back seat. So really the point of the channel is to educate. I also find that, you know, going, going forward, a lot of owners are becoming mindful of the costs associated with calling out a vet. And if they don't have a vet in the area that is confident treating their species, or they've lost trust, they've lost faith in their vet, many people are tending to rely on social media, community forums anyway. So things like, you know, local Facebook groups. Mm. And the information posted on these forums can be really unreliable and can absolutely do harm. And we do see this in increasing amounts. So I figured if people are going to use social media, I wanted to offer a forum there for them that does have reliable, easily accessible information, you know, professional guidance on those welfare and health issues. I guess the other thing is, is from a selfish perspective, I do find it quite cathartic, you know, at the end of a day in the clinic where I might be feeling maybe sad or frustrated with seeing cases that are already too far gone by the time they come to see me, this channel offers a bit of an outlet where I feel like maybe I'm helping in some way, you know, I'm preventing the same thing happening, even if that is on the other side of the world. Yeah, so, yeah, I, I guess that's it really in a nutshell. I, as you've said, it's no secret I feel passionately about welfare. So, you know, with this channel, I can show what gold standard can look like. Yeah. Additional options for pain relief if people want it, diagnostic testing, hospitalization and surgery if you want to go that route, you know. Mm-hmm. So I feel I feel really passionately about 
meeting the owner, whether that's lifestyle or a farmer, wherever they sit on that spectrum of pet to production. So it's really exciting. It's exciting times because, you know, I think mindsets are changing, as you've mentioned. Mm. Um, Welfare is improving. We're seeing demands for higher quality from consumers and from owners, higher expectations on vets. So, yeah, it's exciting times. That's that's how it was born. I love it. I really love it. Mm. And I I think, you know, we're in dairy country too here and, um it, it is it is hard it's hard to supposed to be taken seriously locally and that includes sometimes the the, the 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 particularly the older school vets but some of the the newer ones are so excited when they see sheep in dairy country so <laughs> a real novelty factor yeah well we um I had a one of my rams vasectomy this year and um one of the graduate vets was just can I come can I do it I really want to do it. So yeah, so stuff like that. Um, yeah. Whereas I was thinking, oh, no one's going to want to do this um, to, you know, get get me a teaser round. But yeah, we had two vets come out and they were great. You know. And yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, the ram healed really well. He was well looked after, <clears throat> which is great. Okay. Yeah. So today's topic is, I suppose, very close to my heart. I know I had some disasters last year with my lambs. Uh, and I know that you're very, very passionate about this. And today's topic is really bloat in lambs. Mm. And particularly mm. we're talking here about, I suppose, bloat doesn't really occur, does it, in you know, naturally fed lambs when they're feeding off, off their mum? It does not. No, it yeah, doesn't. Correct. Mm. No, no. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Yeah, people think of it as a, as a bigger problem with bottle-fed lambs, but it really it's exclusively bottle-fed lambs. It is undocumented yeah, oh. if they're naturally reared. Yeah, it's amazing. So um, tell us a little bit about bloat. And, and I suppose we probably need to go back to some sort of biology here to really sort of set the scene, don't we, um, to sort of start our conversation. Yeah, yeah. So I guess, you know, if we're talking about what causes bloat, you're absolutely right. We need to understand uh, the anatomy underlying it. So first off, and I hope this is okay, I'm going to jump on my my little mini soapbox just for a second. I just want to say straight off the bat that I think today we're obviously talking about abomasal bloat. Mm. Um, but bloat in itself, the term simply just means a distended abdomen, right? It just means if you look down on the over its back, it looks like it's got a big bloated up abdomen. And there are so many things that could cause a distended abdomen in a lamb or a sheep. Mm-hmm. So obviously we're going to leave the adults altogether for today because lamb bloat is a huge topic in itself. Mm-hmm. But even in your lambs, just keep in mind as we go through this that a distended abdomen could be abomasal bloat or it could be many other things. And I've actually run some of my own little just in-clinic studies, um, which have led me to feel so passionately about this. And I'll come to that a little bit later. But yeah, you're right. Let's talk about the anatomy a little bit first. So everyone's kind of kicking off on the same page. So sheep are obviously ruminants. They have four stomachs. Now, the first stomach that food goes into in an adult when they're eating their hard food is called the rumen. And that is the massive chamber that fills up pretty much half of the body. It's huge. Mm. And it acts like a massive fermentation vat. So this is where meal, hay, grass is all going to get chewed and it's going to go down into the rumen. Now, in that rumen, we've got a lot of bacteria. We've got fungi and other little little single-celled organisms in there. But mostly we're thinking about the bacteria. They're kind of doing all the work to digest the grass. 
So the animal chews the grass or hay or meal, and it goes down, down the throat into the rumen. Then through a couple of other chambers before hitting the abomasum, which is the true stomach that resembles ours. So that's where stomach acid is produced and digestion and all the rest of it. Now, when your lambs, when they're first born and for the first few months of life, there is what you can think of. It's not a valve, but it acts like a valve. It's a little, what we can think of as like a valve and it sits at the bottom of the throat there and it flicks and bypasses milk straight past the rumen because we don't want milk in that rumen. The rumen's meant to be for grass. Milk's got no place there. So in our little babies, when they're sucking on milk, we've got that little valve down the bottom and it goes, oh, this is milk and, and it diverts it. So it bypasses those, those first three stomach chambers and takes the milk straight into the abomasum at the back. So when we when we say they're only using one stomach as babies, they're really more acting like a horse or a pig or even like a human, you know, they're acting like monogastrics. They're not acting like a ruminant, Mm. which is a, does that all make sense? Yes. Tell me if I'm rambling, but it's a really great little system. Yeah. Mm. It's a great system. Yeah. The system can go wrong when they're not acting out their natural behavior. and, And that's what really the underlying issue with bloat. So, Abomasal bloat is where the abomasum, that what's called, I like to call it the baby stomach for simplicity, is where the abomasum blows up with gas so much so that eventually it impinges on the heart and lungs. The lamb can't breathe. There's so much pressure inside that abdomen that blood can't pump around the body. And without having that gas released, they're going to start open mouth breathing and they will die absolutely very quickly. So your question about, I suppose, you know, what causes it? Mm. Well, traditionally, it's been pretty poorly understood, which you're probably, everyone's probably very well aware of. There's a lot of conflicting info out there, which has really lent itself to a lot of old wives' tales about cause and treatment. But the short answer for what causes it is is bacteria in a nutshell. So traditionally, we've thought of it as sort of an infection, you know, an overgrowth of gas-producing bacteria. But the exact bacteria we don't know And the reason for this is that a lot of those bacteria live there anyway in a healthy animal. So the fact that we see them there after an animal has died doesn't necessarily mean they were the cause, if that makes sense. Mm. So we do now know that it's probably more complicated than just one bacteria. We can have bloat, uh, abomasal bloat from an overgrowth of bacteria that produce gas. Absolutely. Just like we always thought. So a lot of gas produced too quickly and the stomach blows up, game over. We can also find a bacteria that inflames the stomach and stops it from being able to empty and the same thing occurs in humans with this bacteria as well so probably just a normal amount of gas produced but because the stomach isn't emptying as quickly as it should that gas builds up and then the third one we see is we also see deaths from a bacteria that produce toxins and a lot of people probably a lot of your viewers will know that the term clostridial bacteria Mm -hmm. So, yeah, so there are clostridial bacteria which kill in quite a different way. They usually look like almost sort of a mild or a moderate bloat, but they never get really big. And we call these toxic clostridial bloats, where instead of a sudden gas blow up after a feed, they kind of smolder away over a few days. The lamb gets really dull and lethargic. And eventually it's the toxins in the bloodstream that kill the lamb. Yeah, so the short answer is bacteria, but we do have a number of bacteria Probably the reality is they're working together in some way. And of course, there's all those factors behind it that, you know, how, why are those bacteria in the first place? And that's really the big question, isn't it? Mm, gee. Mm. 
So, so is yeah, so yeah. this the cluster? No, sure, no short answers. No short today. answer. Yeah, no, no, that's that's good, and and that's kind of I suppose if you, if if we're wanting to sort of dispel some of these myths, that's exactly what we need. Mm. So is that with the clostridial one? Then is that why they again again? I don't know if this is an old wives' tale or not, but is that why they the suggestion is if you've got a bottle fed lamb, vaccinate really early, much earlier than you would vaccinate a clostridial vaccination. That is much earlier than you'd vaccinate a, a lamb on its on its mum. Yeah, absolutely. And with it, and I usually recommend a different one as well. Mm. So when we're talking about vaccinations, we're usually thinking. Okay, to get the best immune response out of this vaccination, we want to keep it sort of um, as specific as possible. You know, so a lot of people will still be reaching for their five and one, six and ones, which is absolutely fine if they're being reared by mum. You know, that's that's absolutely no worries. Yeah. Um, with your bottle reared lambs, because we're looking at those clostridial ones. So, you know, if you're actually out there in the market for a vaccination, look for one that covers all of your strains of clostridium perfringens. So A as well, clostridium perfringens strain A, um, sordellii. And then there's another one as well called sarkina, which is only, as far as I know, found in your sort of 10-in-1s. Yeah. And thankfully, those big 10-in-1s, the one we have in New Zealand, you can actually vaccinate from two weeks old. So if someone's bottle-rearing a baby, yeah, I absolutely get them to vaccinate at two weeks old. And, of course, their booster. Yes. With that really broad spectrum. Yeah. So you're right. That's That's absolutely why. Yeah. And that that broad spectrum vaccination is is that would you find that from your produce store or would that be from a, a vet clinic? So in New Zealand at the moment, it's still it's not quite over the counter yet because mm. it's so new. So it is it's still a prescription. Yeah, so it's, yeah. it has to be through the vet clinic. I'm yeah. not sure what your situation is in Australia. So check into that. But yeah, we'll do. Yeah, thank you. That's great. Of course, you know we, we there's obviously other reasons to vaccinate earlier if they haven't been on mum, they may not have had a good dose of colostrum, so they're not being supported by her immune system. Yeah. Um, they may be immunocompromised for other reasons. So, yeah, but, but that's definitely one of the reasons. Mm. Mm. So why is it then that it's more bottle-fed, in this case, lambs, that that are susceptible to bloat? What, what's, yeah. what happens in them that doesn't necessarily happen in, in a naturally-fed lamb? Yeah, so that's that is the big question, isn't it? And that's the crux of it. That's the part I'm passionate about because that comes down to behavior and how we are manipulating their natural behavior. So, you know, as we talked about at the start, we we just do not see abomasal bloat in naturally reared lambs with mum in the paddock. It's just not documented. So it's not even generally bottle-fed animals. It is exclusively bottle-fed animals. And so here's why naturally, and this might blow some people's minds, it blew my mind when I first read this, naturally a lamb would drink from a ewe in the paddock 36 times a day. Does that blow your mind? Yeah. yeah. 36 times a day. So that's a minuscule amount, just a few mil every 45 minutes. Yeah. Anyone who's had a newborn baby can testify to, you know, a human baby can, yes. can testify to that. So that's in the first couple of weeks. And then obviously this drops down as they get older. But even at six to eight weeks old, at a time where our bottle reared babies are commonly down on two to three feeds a day mm-hmm. and, and often are being, you know, thinking about early age weaning at six to eight weeks old, naturally, if they were on mum, they would still be drinking 12 plus times a day, a huge amount. And that's how they've been designed, little and often. So when we have these big hits of milk from giving 
a very small number of feeds, but in massive volumes, this is why we see issues. Mm. The gas-producing bacteria that, we, that we've talked about that produce gas down in the stomach, they're producing gas by eating lactose. Lactose is that sugar. It's the sugar that you find in milk. So they eat lactose as their food and they produce gas with it. So when we get a big volume of milk, you get a big hit of lactose. The bacteria go crazy. They reproduce more because there's so much food for them. And then one day after a feed, there are so many bacteria in there that a huge amount of gas is produced and the stomach floats up. So that's the that that's the main syndrome that we see. There are a couple of others that, if it's okay, I'll touch on yeah. um, because they also they're also really high risk in your bottle reared lambs. So weaning is another really high risk time for bloat. Because again, naturally from mum, and you'll be able to testify to this watching your use mm. use wean their own bubs if you do let them do that. Naturally, if they're on mum, she is going to start getting fed up with them. I've got a 10-month-old myself, so I know how this feels. She's going to start getting fed up with them drinking. She's going to start kicking them off earlier. She's going to start walking away while they're feeding. Mm. So naturally, they're going to wean by taking in smaller volumes. She doesn't let them suckle as long. Mm. Then she's going to start refusing them feeds altogether. So they're dropping feeds mm. before weaning them altogether. Now, if you compare that to how we wean our bottle red lambs to what's often on the back of the packet on how to do it. Usually it's dropping one of the feeds, but increasing the volume of the other feeds. Yeah. So it's, again, we're having that big hit of lactose. So increasing a volume of, of a single feed should never be done during weaning, but for whatever reason um, that has been advised on, on the back of milk packets for a long time. Um, I've actually been working with the suppliers of, of some milk replacer here in New Zealand to change those recommendations, and that'll be changing this year. So I'm really looking forward oh, to that amazing. new packaging. Yeah, because owners are going to follow the packet. You know, yeah. They assume that that's best, and it's, it's a fair call. It should be. Mm. And then the only other thing that I'll mention, I know I've been mm. ranting, but nope, the only other issue, <laughs> the only other issue we see is with bottle reared bubs as well, following the back of the packet, we see a lot of people feeding excessive amounts per meal straight off the bat. So you have to keep in mind that most of these milk replacers are commercial. They're commercially based. They're based on the average weight for a healthy, usually singleton lamb. Mm-hmm. But our orphan bottle red lambs are often going to be the smallest triplet. They might be a little premature thing that was dropped a bit early and needs a helping hand. Yeah. They're very often, and I would say usually, very little. So following the back of the packet for how to feed, how much to feed, a say, a one-week-old lamb, well, that one-week-old lamb might be anywhere from 5 kg all the way down to 700 grams. And that I'm not making that number up. That is the smallest non-premature lamb I've ever dealt with. That is the size of a guinea pig. Yeah, 700 grams. And he was fine. He just came in because they were trying to get 60 mil into him per feed. He needed about seven mil. So again, <laughs> so again really, really important to weigh the lamb and calculate what what that lamb needs for its body weight, you know, unless it's a healthy singleton, you might you're probably safe. But for a little guy, calculate 15% max 20% of their body weight and divide that as many times across the day as you can. Otherwise we get dietary scowlers just from overfeeding and that predisposes to bloat. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's there's a lot of things that can go wrong there. Um the only other one in and I'm just going to throw one more in the mix as well, mm-hmm. is a type of bloat that we call milk ruminitis. 
and it's where that valve at the bottom of the throat that we were talking about where that doesn't work properly and we accidentally get milk flowing into the rumen so it doesn't get bypassed properly and instead it it flows into that big fermentation chamber the rumen Mm. which can't do anything with milk that's designed for grass so the milk just sits there it causes a low grumbling bloat that goes on for sometimes weeks it makes them feel really sick so they don't want to drink and they get clay like stools out the back end they sometimes get bald patches on the head. I don't know if you've have you ever seen lambs with bald patches no, on the head, Jill? No, you haven't. Yeah, yeah. It might, I'm sure. I'm sure some of your listeners will yeah. go, "Oh my goodness, that's what it was." <laughs> yeah. So it's just about a weird, a weird metabolism that happens with milk when it's yeah. sitting in the rumen. Yeah, and that happens. So that bloat in the rumen happens from that valve not working right. So a poor suck reflex if they're yes. already weak for some reason, um, from milk flowing too fast and overflowing into the rumen. Or, this one's quite interesting, milk that's too cold. So a strong suck on warm fluid is what activates the valve. Yeah. So these are really easy mistakes to make. And and all of those mistakes we see when people are interfering. So that's when, you know, in our artificially reared lambs. Yeah. 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 So So a lot of issues. A lot of issues. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of challenges. So, So I'm thinking, you know, with calves, it's different, right? They're the, it doesn't it doesn't happen as much with calves. Doesn't happen at all with calves. It, it, do you mean uh, bloat? Bloat, or yeah, just bloat. Have a nasal bloat. Yeah, yeah. It it does happen. It doesn't happen as often. Okay. Yeah, and to be honest, no one's completely sure why. Okay. Um, yeah, no one's exactly sure why, but but you're absolutely right. It does. It certainly does happen for sure. Okay. Yeah, I, I go out to bloated calves absolutely, um, and deal with the same issues. But it's not, it's not as big an issue. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So in, in your bottle red lambs, it's if you're not using preventative measures, you've got a really good chance of, of yeah. them coming down with bloat. Mm, even things like um like the milk milk in the rumen that I was just talking about mm. even that doesn't happen that much with calves mm. when you see it in calves it's usually because someone's feeding them out of a bucket mm-hmm. so they've literally got no suck you know they don't have to suck at all yeah. uh, but but if they're using a teat it's unusual to see that in calves mm. yeah so we're just lucky <laughs> we're lucky with the lambs we get to deal with it <laughs> and why would one lamb be get bloat and the other not if if you know is is it is it is it an internal thing is it more behavior thing with how they drink you know so you could have I mean I had what I was bottle feeding I think seven or eight last year and two died from Mm. and it it seemed like what you just described was really really quick um Mm -hmm. and uh and you know they were blown up just like literally in a matter of an hour Mm, yeah yeah and you lost them eh? yeah yeah so well there's a few things there's a few things that contribute to why those bacteria are there in the first place I want to touch on the behavior first because yeah. I feel I feel sad for these little lambs um that get tarnished as gutsy and that's why they got bloat <laughs> so one of the things that can predispose to bloat is you know as we've said milk overflowing or gulping in air and that happens when they're drinking too fast so you hear, you know, that's a real, that's something you hear all the time, isn't it? From kind of the dawn of time as people going, oh, he's always been gutsy. He's, you know, he's predisposed to bloat. A good, strong suck reflex is a good thing. That's, that's a healthy lamb. And given the right bottle and the right teat, that should protect them against bloat, having a good, strong suck reflex. 
the reason that that predisposes them is if the hole at the end of the teat might be too big. Mm-hmm. So if it's too big and milk is disappearing down the hatch too quickly, then that can um, that can encourage them to take an air um, and that can also have it overflow into the rumen. Mm-hmm. The other thing as well that kind of that, that lends itself to why we would get only some being affected, not others, is in theory, they should be they're, they're going to be picking up that bacteria from somewhere, you know. Right. So a lot of it's going to come down to environment. Where have they picked up the bacteria? Was there something that, you know, a piece of equipment that wasn't well sterilized in between feeds? Um, it, it's the same answer as why why any animal would get an infection when the others don't. It's right. they've picked it up somewhere in the environment. Um, but yeah, absolutely behavior comes into it. If they've got individual bottles, check on, on your feeding practices make sure everything's on par there yeah and then you know it's it might sound like a little bit of a cop-out but there's always going to be genetic things going on as well um and what was their early start in life did they get good colostrum that's a big one when we see when we're answering why one lamb gets something and another one doesn't what was their immune status to start with and not just not just did they get colostrum but what was mum's colostrum like Like. you know so if she's going to have nice thick golden colostrum she's been living on your land for a number of years so she's already seen all the bacteria on your land Mm. she's a middle-aged you so Mm. she's got a really strong immune system she's going to have really good colostrum compared to a first-time mum who might have an iffy immune status herself Mm. probably hasn't picked up everything from your environment yet you know what I mean so even colostrum they can do everything right and it's still not going to be all equal Mm. Amazing. Yeah. Does that answer that question? Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's, yeah. That's, yeah, I think that's, yeah, it's really incredible just to sort of think about all those, all those little things you need to think about as well. It's so, so complex. Yeah. So complex. Yeah. yeah, for sure. So um, you mentioned there the right bottle and the right teat then. Maybe let's just touch on that. You know, if we are feeding bottle-fed lambs, what, what should mm. our equipment, I suppose, be like? to hopefully prevent pre- prevent this from happening. Prevent, hey, prevent, prevent, yeah. Well, there's there's a few things that, that, you know, there's a lot of things really that you should be doing to prevent it. I suppose the easiest way to talk about them is just to kind of go down the bullet form, eh, because mm. I'm hoping some of your viewers are sitting there right now with a pen and paper ready to jot notes. <clears throat> so we can just run through them. Mm. Um, we've already mentioned some of them. So firstly, most importantly, mimic mum as closely as you can calculate how much they need for that individual across the 24 hours 15 percent of their body weight's a good a good safe one to go with and then spread that across as many small feeds as you can right reweigh them weekly of course mm. you know up it as they get older your second one is going to be at weaning drop down the volume of feeds to wean do not drop a feed in exchange for increasing volume so we're trying to avoid any big big volume increases your third one as you beautifully mentioned for us is to make sure they're vaccinated early Mm -hmm. and with a booster of a wide spectrum clostridial vaccine ideally one that includes sarkina as well that's sarkina is the bacteria that i was talking about that inflames the stomach and just stops it from emptying as quickly as it should Mm -hmm. um so yeah making sure that they're vaccinated nice and early ideally at two weeks old if you can go that young with the with the vaccine you're using the fourth one what you've just been asking about would be to make sure that those teat ends aren't too large. So as we've said, a teat that's flowing too fast can cause issues with flowing into the rumen. We can have them taking an ear accidentally. Um, 
so you know hold to check that you just want to hold the bottle on a 45 degree angle mm. on a 45 degree angle that teak should drip 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 so if it's flowing on its own the hole is too big that lamb doesn't even need to suck right so that's going to go straight in the rumen <laughs> so we need those lambs to have a good strong suck to get the milk it's that strong suck that activates that valve to make sure yeah. the milk goes where it's supposed to go yeah. so often people talk as we've said about lambs being gutsy and greedy i feel very defensive of those little lambs mm. you know if they're drinking the bottle far too fast check the teat hole okay mm. the fifth one that i would say for prevention is and we haven't i don't think we've mentioned this yet is to make sure they have access to hard food from pretty much from birth. From just a couple of days old, they should be nibbling at hard food. So naturally pasture, you know, they'd be eating alongside mum. Creep feed is is absolutely fine, especially if you're trying to get them growing as quickly as you can. So creep feed is that really fine meal that's made for your young, your baby ruminants, specifically to help develop the, the, the rumen, the grown-up stomach but they need to be nibbling hard food from a very young age to get that grown-up stomach ready to switch over at weaning. You'll know that that grown-up chamber is is working well when you see them chewing their cud. That's them regurgitating food from the grown-up chamber, from the rumen. So if you see that, you know that that the rumen's working well because we can also get bloat at weaning from indigestion when they've switched over from milk to hard food too quickly without it being ready to go. So making sure that they've got food from just a few days old so that that grown-up chamber is ready to go, you'll prevent bloat around weaning as well. Mm. Yeah, so that's another one there. The next way to prevent would be, as we've said, making sure your equipment is clean and disinfected between feedings. Um, You know, in theory, that bacteria is getting in there somehow. So washing with hot water, vinegar, um, washing out the bottle and the teats, ideally making your milk up fresh or at least keeping it refrigerated for the day. You know, we want to prevent any new bacteria getting in there. Yeah. And then, and I don't know if this was the next thing you were going to ask, but but uh, any interest in discussing yogurtizing milk? Because that's yeah. kind of, that's the big thing. Eh? And the other thing I wanted to ask, Jill, do you guys have whey-based milk powder over there? Uh, yes. So so um, one of the products that I've used is called Prophylac. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'm pretty sure it's, it, it is, it is for creas and lambs and kids rather mm. than calves, this particular one. Um, okay. it, and it's, it, but it, it's, it was what I was feeding my lambs when they died. Sure. It was way based, was yeah, it? Yeah, I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I'd have to check, double check, but I'm pretty sure it's way based. I'll have a quick look. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So so we'll have a little yarn about that as well. Yeah. I think there's a lot of misconception around that, eh? Around what yeah. a way based product is. So firstly, you know, once we've got all those little management practices in place, they're properly vaccinated, blah, blah, blah. Then we get into the big things of what you can do to prevent it. So anyone who's had a lamb, they've lost a lamb to abomasal bloat in the past, will go pretty crazy trying to figure out how to prevent it because it's horrible to see. So, so far, yogurtizing milk is still the only proven way. The only proven way, and and by that I mean there's rigorous, you know, there's scientific studies there with good control groups and and good data um, to to show that it reduces the chances of abomasal bloat. What I want to debunk here across your forum is that this is not adding a dollop of yogurt to the bottle at the time of feeding. Mm. 
This is adding acidophilus yogurt, just a tablespoon into the bottle and feeding it. That's an old wife's tale. And that likely, almost certainly, increases the chance of bloat. Yeah, and so many people still do that. And it breaks my heart because they're doing what they think is best. So when we say yogurtizing the milk, what this means is you're going to add your plain acidophilus yogurt to your milk. It's a human one, like a human one is fine. Yeah, like a human one. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, unflavored acidophilus yogurt. So it's got your acidophilus bacteria in there. You're going to add it about 200 grams to say a, a, you know, a two liter. And you can set it aside in a warm spot. So it needs to be nice and warm for the bacteria to go crazy. So Mm -hmm. hot water cupboard is usually where people leave it. The key thing to understand here is that the bacteria in the acidophilus yogurt are gas-producing bacteria. Mm. So what we're doing in yogurtizing is we're setting that milk aside and giving those bacteria 24 hours to eat all the lactose they want and produce all the gas they can in the safety of the hot water cupboard so that by the time we go and feed it to the lamb, there's no more lactose. Mm. There is no more lactose for whatever bacteria are hiding down in the stomach to make gas out of, right? We're putting them on a lactose-free diet. Mm. Does it, that make sense to you? Yeah, eh? yeah, 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 definitely. Can explain that, okay? Is, is it? Is yeah, it, like, it? Does it? Does it look thicker and look like? It does. Yeah, sour milk. Almost? It looks. It looks. It smells like yogurt. It looks. It's the same as souring the milk. Yep, yep. It's the same as sour milk. It does go thick. Yeah. So you, you, a lot of people will need to um, dilute it a little bit, or maybe make the hole at the end of the teat a little bit bigger, and that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, but if you're going to dilute it, that's absolutely fine. Just a little to make it easy for them to drink, but make sure you're still feeding them the same quantity as you would have undiluted, if that makes sense. And that's going to be the same quantity as what you would have for the milk. Yeah. So they still need their full nutrition there. Yeah. So anyone, you know, this really honed home for me the first time I yogurtized milk myself in clinic just in preparation for the next lamb, the next apomasal bloat. And I did it in a two liter plastic milk container and it sat there and I saw the container blow up with gas Mm. and I had to release the lid because the container puffed up with gas. So you can see how harmful it is. Yeah, yeah. So if people are taking a dollop of that yogurt and feeding it straight to the lamb, that is, you're just giving them more gas producing bacteria. So I think in the past, people thought it was like giving a probiotic. Mm. It's really not. Yeah, you're literally adding more gas to that lamb. Mm. Wow. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if people want to give a probiotic. Yeah. Sorry. And then do you warm that up when you yogurtize it? Do you you then warm it up up like on the stove? No, no. no. You actually, yeah, good question. This is the exception. You want to feed it cold. Yeah. Yeah. And I know I've just been preaching, making sure milk is warm enough to activate that valve. Um, But in this case, it's a trade-off because if you warm that milk up, any other uh, little population of of potentially harmful bacteria that's been in there could thrive. Yeah, Yeah, so we want to make sure that the acidophilus yogurt is set aside just for your 24 hours, excuse me, just, just for your 24 hours for all the acidophilus bacteria to thrive, and then it goes into the fridge. We don't, yeah, otherwise there's a risk if we warm it up and then feed it to them, there's a risk that we might be feeding them an infection of something else. So we do feed them one cold. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So you can absolutely, you know, the the next preventative thing is to give a probiotic, you know, Mm. and you can certainly give a probiotic. That's something you can do to prevent it, Mm. but it's sure as heck not going to be acidophilus yogurt. So if you're looking for a probiotic to give, you want to hunt around for one called Bifidobacterium animalis. 
And like that the one ingredient? That, that's the name of the bacteria. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Bifidobacterium. It's sometimes it'll just be called B animalis. Yes. Um, that one is not gas producing. Yeah. And it's a bacteria found in the healthy stomach and gastrointestinal tracts of yeah. many animals, including humans, including sheep. So you can give a teaspoon, it comes in a powder, you can give that one at the time of feeding straight into the bottle and feed them. That's going to displace any nasty bacteria. Yeah, but not, but your acidophilus bacteria, your acidophilus is not a healthy probiotic. Yeah. So yogurtizing is quite different. Do you use one, Jill? Um, I have a protexin. I use a, a product called protexin. I'll have a look. Yeah, I'll have a look. And the powder uh, that we were talking about just says it has premium, highly digestible Australian dairy powders. That's all it says. Oh, so it might it might not necessarily be a whey. It might not be whey. Yeah, but it does contain lots of host-specific probiotics. So it does contain that and prebiotics as well. So it lists. Good. Yeah, prebiotic yeah. just means fiber, right? Yeah. For the, for the there is yeah. um, at acidophilus in there acidophilus yeah yes that's yep, it yeah that's so, the, the spelling yeah yeah so with that but, but you're saying there that that one shouldn't actually be fed sort of without yeah. fermentation yeah 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 so i'm not quite sure why it's included in that yeah yeah i mean we do find we do find acidophilus in in healthy gastrointestinal tracts as well yes absolutely so you'll find acidophilus in human probiotics for sure. Yes. Um, but for the purpose of trying to prevent bloat, I personally highly recommend against it. Yeah, yeah. I just cannot see for the life of me how that's no. a good idea when you when you watch the plastic milk carton blow up with gas no. to the point of wanting to burst, you know? Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Mm, but the whey powder, the, the whey-based milk powder is an interesting one because this is something that's hit the market yeah. In New Zealand, a lot of people are really excited about it because it has a label claim that it reduces the incidence of bloat. So I've talked with with people um, in that market. Yes. And I think I found that, you know, a lot of people, a lot of owners get really confused. So when I've, you, you may have seen, I've done some YouTube episodes on, on preventing abomasal bloat. And, you know, I've had comments, people saying, use a whey-based powder, it does the same thing. It's lactose-free. It's whey instead of lactose. This is just completely not, that's not true. That's not what it is. So whey whey is the protein, right? Lactose is the sugar in milk. Whey is the protein. But in milk, there's actually two types of protein. There's whey and there's casein. Yes. So a whey-based milk powder means that there is only whey instead of whey and casein. All it means is there's no casein in there. It's got nothing to do with the lactose content. The lactose is still in normal amounts, so you can definitely still get bloat on a a whey-based milk diet. The, The lactose content is the same. So you can get it, you can get bloat. The way it's thought to reduce bloat, and it's interesting and it's probably true, the way it's thought to reduce bloat is because when there is only whey protein and there's no casein protein in there, the milk doesn't clot. So it's the casein that makes milk clot yes. in the stomach. So when it doesn't clot because there's like no casein. Cheese. Exactly. Yeah, it clots yeah. to get your curd and whey. Yeah, yeah, that's the curd and whey. Um, so when there's no casein, it doesn't clot and it means that it empties out of the abomasum really quickly, much faster than standard milk powder. 
So the stomach empties faster. All that means is that the bacteria that do live there don't have as long to produce gas because their food is rushing past them, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't actually seen any hard evidence that it does reduce abomasal bloat. Mm. The evidence seems to be more anecdotal, which is still fine. You know, it's it's probably still true, um, in my opinion, at least. But it does seem to be anecdotal and sort of loosely run studies on, on farms where they've run their own little studies, mm. it would make sense that it helps. Um, so I definitely recommend people give it a go, but just be aware that, the, you know, the lactose content is the same. Mm. So yogurtizing milk means we're getting rid of the lactose. There's literally no food for the bacteria. With this one, it, it should help, but it's not, you, you certainly can still get abomasal bloat. Mm. Mm. The only other thing I found with this, that's a little bit of a warning to people now, it's just a consideration really, is that because the stomach empties so quickly, they have to have access to meal and hard food from very young because they're going to feed, they're going to feel really hungry yeah. on a whey-based powder. Yeah. yeah. So so when it first hit the market here, I think it was la- uh, maybe two springs ago now. Yeah. Time, time did weird things last year. Right? It just didn't exist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So when I first had people coming in with little lambs and they were trying out the whey-based powder, they would, I had a few cases where they came in with tummy pain mm. and they, you know, they were showing signs of, of colic and they could, the owner was saying they just seem unhappy and they're bleating all the time. I could, I literally couldn't find anything wrong with them. I'd give them pain relief and anti-nausea and they would yeah. come right. And I think in hindsight, after talking to the people that make whey-based powders, I think in hindsight, they were just really hungry. Mm. Yeah. So they have to be able to fill up on hard food. And that's another one of their claims is that it helps them grow faster and it stops it stops that growth check at weaning. Mm. And that'll, that's probably true as well because they're having to eat hard food so much younger. So their big grown-up rumen is going to be really well developed when weaning comes yeah. around. Yeah. So, so yeah. So in terms of, so would oh, you recommend? Ahead. Would you recommend then going with the, the trying to find a whey based product, um, or or just a traditional product and then yogurtize? Oh man! So that just comes down to personal opinion, eh? Because this is all this is all very, you know, um, abomasal bloat and little hand red lambs is not a big money maker for drug companies. Yeah. So it's it's just not really hard evidence for things. If it was me, and I I can only say my personal opinion, if it was me, I would be yogurtizing to be honest because the science just makes sense to me yeah you're getting rid of the food for the bacteria um but yogurtizing just is not practical for so many people Mm -hmm. you know especially if you're wearing a whole bunch of lambs that's yeah I I totally understand that's not going to be practical for a lot of people so if that's the case then go for a way based yeah yeah that, that would be my advice. Okay. You can yeah I did ask the people you know I've, I've asked people who manufacture whey based I said is there any reason you can't yogurtize this and they said no it's lots of lactose you, you should be able to yogurtize yeah. but I haven't actually met anyone who's tried that who's used yeah. a whey based and yogurtized it because um, then we're we're cutting down we're t- removing one of the proteins in there and we're removing all the lactose so I'm not sure how they would grow on that yeah. I don't I just don't know yeah. Um, mm. The other thing I noticed was that the bloat happened at, at a particular age of, of the lamb. So, you know, the first mm-hmm. four weeks, the, the lamb is fine. It's in that mm. sort of five, six-week sort of stage um, mm. that uh, I found anyway that the, the, the bloat happened. So 
I mean, it, it is an option here to just do what you normally do and then just wean really early? Or could you switch to, could you let them grow for four weeks on the normal sort of dairy milk replacer and then go onto the whey? I know I'm kind of probably really messy. Yeah, no. Do you know what's really interesting, Jill, is if you, I mean, flip, there's so much contradicting stuff online, but if you look on, you know, find a, a reputable vet site, usually the statistics say that abomasal bloat is in lambs under four weeks old. Oh, wow. That's kind of the age-old stats, yeah, which I completely disagree with. I would agree with you. I think that we do, I, I totally agree with you, we seem to see it in specific age groups, but I believe that that is just reflecting the different reasons that they get it. So when you get it in your really young ones, I would suspect that that's because they are being grossly overfed mm. or because they had zero immune system, no colostrum, you know, to start with. When you get it in your, say, five, six-week-olds, as you've said, mm. I would put that down to higher risk as they get a bit older because the volume of feeds are increasing. Mm. And along with that, it's going to take the bacteria a certain amount of time to build up their population. It's not like they pick up bacteria, the nasty bacteria from the soil and it manifests the next day. That's not how it works. They have a little bit already living there, or they pick up a little bit from the soil, and then it takes a you know it takes a, a period of time for the population to get out of control. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's that as well. And then a lot of people, you'll hear a lot of people say that you and and I would agree. In my clinic, we see most of the abomasal bloats around weaning. You know, around kind of almost eight to ten weeks old. Mm. And when that's the case, almost certainly it's because people are dropping a feed and increasing the volume of the others. So, yeah, we've just got different reasons that it happens. And I think that's probably why you see it at at discrete age groups. Mm -hmm. Um, Your question, what can you do as they get older? Absolutely. You know, you can definitely start them off on on a standard lactose, normal milk powder. um, And then as they get older, switch them onto a whey for sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that wouldn't be a silly thing to do. That yeah. would not be a silly thing to do, yeah, because the volumes are increasing as they get older. The, the risk is increasing yes. with the big volume feeds. So, mm. yeah, and I think as well people, <laughs> I mean, t- you could tell me probably, but it seems like a lot of owners have made their peace with feeding 12 times a day for the first couple of weeks, and then after that it gets kind of old, <laughs> you know, yeah. Big commitment, so, huge commitment. Big, it's a huge commitment, hey, to say keep doing that for eight weeks, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, I suppose, you know, it, it would not be silly to give advice as well that, you know, you can keep them on a lactose diet pretty safely as long as they're having small and often yes. many feeds. I, I normally say six to eight feeds plus to be safe. Almost no one's going to be able to do that. But if you want to be really safe about it, that's what you would do. And then when you do get to the stage where you think, okay, they're four or five weeks old now, I really do have to drop them down to three times a day to fit in with work and school. Mm. At that point, switch on to a whey based. Mm. Yeah, I think that would that would yeah. make sense. Yeah, there's I, no reason you can't do. That. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a you know it's a it's a sort of a, we're trying to sort of reduce the risk, I suppose here. So, mm. <clears throat> um, given that bacteria seems to be the culprit, uh, yeah. and and I'm not comfortable with this, but I'm just putting it out there. Could giving them some antibiotics, you know, just to sort of reduce the bacteria or fight the bacteria would could that work to just like a sort of almost preventative antibiotics gotcha yeah 
So I can't remember if I mentioned or not, I hope I did, that most of the bacteria are there normally in small amounts anyway. Oh, yeah, so it's the gut flora upset rather than, yeah. And yeah, so the thing with antibiotics, I mean, if they get bloat 100%, they need antibiotics. Wow. Right. So I don't know. You you probably have antibiotics on hand yeah. with the number of sheep you've got. Yeah. So I hopefully, we, you know, if you have abomace or bloat, they're getting antibiotics because eh? at that point, heck yes, <laughs> we want to we want to give them antibiotics preventatively. It, it doesn't really work because we don't want to go messing with the flora too much. We, you know, if we gave them antibiotics at a broad spectrum and wiped out all the bacteria, then it's starting fresh all over again. Yeah. You know, yeah. Like we can't give antibiotics and easily choose which ones we're killing and which ones we're letting yeah. survive. Nor do we know yeah. very well which ones should be surviving and which ones should be dying. That's a, a big field, even in human medicine, that's yeah. still not very well understood. Yeah. So it's better just to give probiotics. We know we we know some of them that are really healthy. So yeah. we just want to give out probiotics yeah. of non-gas producing and let that displace the other ones. Talking yeah. of that, I've had a, I, yeah, talking of that, I've had a look at the probiotics that I do use and it's got um acidophilus in there does it yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd be reaching for bifidobacterium eh? is it a sheep specific one that you're using it is it is uh, animals and birds gotcha mm. yeah yeah there's a few out there that are just bifidobacterium mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's a bit tricky i don't i don't want to you know directly yes. go head to head companies yes. that make these things because it all it is all um still still technically theory until someone conducts the um the experiments but and it does have the bifido yeah, I would be away well. yeah it does have the bifido but the, the first ingredient mm-hmm. is acto um, acidophilus, acidophilus mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. so i have to do more shopping more investigation yeah i think just to be safe eh? just yeah. to be safe i mean the reality is you know if you had if all your feeding practices were absolutely pristine and these little these little orphan lambs are being fed 36 times a day for the first six weeks of life (laughs) you could probably use that you you could do everything else wrong and they would still be fine you know it probably takes a few factors kind of coming in to um to to make the difference Mm. okay so Mm. we've looked at how what we can do perhaps to prevent it manage it Mm. i suppose or manage that prevention manage that risk um if it happens and mm-hmm. you're you're quick enough to see it because this is the other thing. It, I, I find it happens. What I saw anyway happened really really quickly. So mm-hmm. what can you do if it actually happens yourself on on your own property? Obviously, uh, calling the vet, uh, you know, getting the getting the vet out. But you know, invariably it's going to happen at you know ten o'clock on yeah. a Sunday morning or something. Yeah, yeah. So this probably sounds quite scary to a lot of people, but. Have you seen a vet or have you or do you do it yourself where you trocar them? Is that where you use a large a, a very large gauge needle to release the gas? I've tried. I've tried. Cool. Yeah. So I yeah. nothing to lose. I felt like you like you nothing to lose at that stage. Oh, sorry. I, f- I felt that I had nothing to lose at that stage. Absolutely. Yeah. So were they were they open mouth breathing, rocking horse stance? Yeah. Really struggling. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yours sounds like, without a doubt, a true abomasal bloat, eh? And those two. So yeah, with with a true abomasal bloat, where it's killing them because it's compressing their heart and lungs, and and they can't pump blood. In that case, if one came into the clinic to me, I would be flipping it on its back, 
Mm. and and putting in a large gauge needle I you know as a vet obviously I'd be injecting low anesthetic under the skin so they can't yeah. feel it and then popping in a very large gauge needle um between the umbilicus and and um the the bottom of the sternum there the bottom of the breastplate you know so halfway through there and you pop that in and release the gas how large of a gauge oh we normally go 16 gauge mm-hmm. because they're going to have uh, like froth in there as well so if you don't go a large gauge then um, then the, the needle just gets clogged which is a bit of a bummer and then while the needle's in there just go ahead and inject your penicillin straight into the mm-hmm. stomach as well mm-hmm. the downside to this and I see it I've seen it a lot in the past the downside to this is if people go stabbing when they don't need to you know you can actually kill them with putting a big needle in there. So when I very first started practicing, I the first three blokes that I ever saw, and this is back when I was a baby, baby vet, and I just, I did not, you know, I, I wasn't into it. At that, I, I wasn't passionate about it at that stage. I, I wasn't 100% sure what I was up to. <laughs> um, the first three little blokes that I saw came in and I went, whoop, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to release this gas, right? I'm going to do what the textbook told me. And I flipped them over and I, I released the gas. The bloats weren't even that bad at the time. I thought, oh, I'm going to do it preventatively. Mm. And those three, over just a few days, <clears throat> those three cases all died. Within minutes of me putting in the needle, they see, they started having little seizures and they passed away. Thankfully, the owners let me open them up and see what had gone wrong. Mm. And one of them, I the, the stomach had lacerated for lack of a better word so obviously this large gauge needle had acted like almost like a knife and I imagine I envisage kind of like popping a balloon you know and because it's so big and taut it ripped and so the stomach had ripped for about three inches and the abdomen was filled with with abomasal fluid from the stomach Um, and another and and so that had actually happened in two of them and then in the third one it the, the needle had accidentally pierced one of the major blood vessels Mm. so when the stomach had blown up it had also displaced slightly out of place and this massive artery that was not supposed to be there was right at where my needle had gone so after that I promised myself okay I'm going to get to the bottom of this bloat business I'm going to actually start diagnosing things properly I'm not going to stab preventatively Mm. because there are very real risks with doing that so I've gone I've gone way off topic there but yeah that's Mm. a really interesting question but what so I suppose what should we do if it happens? Mm. My biggest thing, and this is going to be really hard for most people, if you have the ability to do so, find and shop around ahead of time, find a small ruminant vet that you trust and who has the ability and skill to diagnose the true underlying cause before treating. So my go-to is ultrasound. That can tell you a lot. Last spring, Joe, when I used, I started ultrasounding because I thought this is just, I'm not happy with this 95% death rate, which is what all, you know, online, all the, all the textbooks will tell you. Mm. Um, I thought I'm not okay with that. There's got to be a better way. And so I started ultrasounding and I ultrasounded about 15 bloke cases across about six weeks. Two, two of the 15 were abomasal bloat. One was a ruminal bloat where there was milk in the rumen. Mm. Two of them were obstructions, waste, where the, where the lambs, one of them had eaten refill paper and they needed medical treatment to help push that out, laxatives and fluids into the vein. Two of them were gut twists that needed surgery or youth. Two were 
uh, rumen bloat from indigestion when they had switched from milk to hard food too quickly. And then I had a couple of, of the toxic clostridial infections as well. One was just an enlarged liver and liver failure. And one of them, the saddest one, broke my heart was this little little lamb whose mum had mastitis and couldn't feed her. And she'd been going around trying to drink from other ewes. Mm. And one of the ewes had kicked her so badly it ruptured her bladder and the whole oh. abdomen was bloated because it was filled with urine. So my point with that grim story is that there are so many different causes. So without an accurate diagnosis, for sure, the chance of death is very high. We, we say about 90%. Yeah. So if you do have the ability, as I say, shop around, find someone who can really, who, who will diagnose the underlying cause for you before treating. Yeah. But most people aren't going to have that, right? So firstly, if you're at home, do dose it with bicarb. Okay. That's, that's your baking soda, right? So you want yeah. to dissolve as much as you can in about 10 ml of water and yeah. dose down the throat. And then either get it to the vet as quickly as possible, or if it's already in that really dire state where it's, you know, it's rocking horse stance, open mouth breathing, struggling to, to get oxygen, mm. then you you probably are going to need to stab it and just hope for the best. As, you, as you've seen, eh, they can blow it up and die within about 30 minutes. So I say to people, dose them with bicarb, get in the car, and then call while you're on the way to yeah. say you're coming now. Yeah. If it's severe and your lamb's struggling to breathe, yeah, then then deflating is the way to go. Mm. I think this is really important to me that I think people understand this. The key really, once you've had a, a little um a, a little bout of bloat, because it's not, you know, often usually what you're gonna have is you're gonna have a smaller a little bout of bloat before that big fatal one comes but a lot of people just don't see that they won't notice until they're struggling Um, but it does take time for the bacteria to build up in population so you are usually going to see a little bit you know the stomach looks big for a little bit longer and longer each time after a feed until one day boom it's massive so if you can catch that early or if you've had treatment for the bloat and you're going forward the key thing is no more milk they, that lamb is needs to be on a lactose-free diet for the rest of its life. Oh, it needs wow. antibiotics if you're at home. It need, so if you're at home and you have a little bout and then it passes, it needs antibiotics. Do that straight off the bat if you've got access to them. It needs your bicarb for sure down the throat. But the key is it needs no more milk. It needs to be fed on only electrolytes until the first batch of yogurtized milk is ready. So normally we say set your yogurtized milk aside for 24 hours, but if it's an emergency and that little lamb has just had a bout of bloat, they're only on electrolytes and they're basically being fasted until you have some yogurt ready, Mm. then use it at 12 hours. That's going to be okay. You can't leave them starving. So only electrolytes until the first batch of yogurtized milk at 12 hours. And then from there, they're only going to be on yogurtized milk until weaning. Mm. Yeah. So that's, that's what I would say to do at home. Mm. Yeah, yeah. I, could you try, other than that, get them to could you try the mm. lactose-free milk in the supermarket? The cattle one? Oh no, just the human one. Yeah, yeah, but but that'll be a dairy. Yeah, yes, dairy, be sorry, dairy. Yes, yes. Um, I yeah, that that's probably going to throw off their gut okay. quite significantly. Yeah, yeah, you'd see them going down with dietary scours. No. Yeah, I think. Um, People underestimate how precise mm. the formula, formulation has to be. Yeah. You know, if we've got milk that's slightly too dilute or too concentrated, we can actually cause a, an osmotic pull of fluid into the gut and we can cause diarrhea or okay. constipation. Yeah. 
<laughs> depending yeah so I wouldn't muck around with that I'd just get on I'd just get a, a batch of yogurtized milk going yeah. straight away yeah 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 mm-hmm. wow cool yeah. so can you just let me just go back to the um the stabbing so thank you for the the 16 gauge how long does it need to be and then where exactly can you just sort of get you know how many is, is there a sort of a measurement that we would need to look at to to get the right location where exactly the stab yeah yeah so so do you know what I mean by the base we call it the zypher sternum but it's just that the bottom of the breast of yes. the breastplate do you know what I mean by that stop yeah exactly yeah so if you palpate if you feel down between the front legs so we're going to spin them on their back because gas rises right so we spin them on their back and we want that abomasum coming as close to the surface as possible so sit them on their back between your knees and then you're going to measure just exactly halfway between the umbilicus so that tummy button yep and the bottom of the breastplate so if you feel the hard breastplate down between those front legs at some point it's going to stop you can feel it on yourself as yes. well. It's the same yeah. in there. Yeah. And so you're going halfway between there. And realistically, like that's a measurement that you can make to feel safe. But realistically, if you look at the lamb and it's lying on its back, that's going to be the highest point anyway. Mm. Something just to note there is you want to be swift about it because that lamb is got once you spin them on their back, the the organs in the abdomen are going to press on the lungs and, and semi-collapse those lungs. So if that lamb is already at the place where it's struggling to breathe, you do not want to be spinning it on its back and then mucking around because mm. it can't breathe, right? So you pop it on its back, boom, you need you need to go for it. In terms of how long the needle is, that's a very good question. Thank you for asking. You want it to be a nice long one as long as possible, which realistically is normally a one and a half or a 1.8 inch. Mm -hmm. Um, long needle yeah and the reason that we want a nice long one is because if you can imagine as that abomasum starts to deflate and the air comes out of it it's going to fall down Mm -hmm. you know so we want it we want it to be able to deflate as much as possible before it falls off the end of the needle Mm -hmm. yeah yeah right did that answer the question yeah 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 (laughs) and you don't have to go in too far with it do you because it's just it's yeah, no, it's just below the surface, but but you will want to, yeah, the abomasum is sitting just below the surface, mm-hmm. but you do want to push that needle right up to the hub. Mm-hmm. You want it to go, you want okay. that needle to go in as far as, as it can go so that the abomasum doesn't just fall off the end of the needle as it gets smaller. Yeah. Yeah. And will, I know when I did mine, I had some sort of green liquid come out. I'm thinking that's not yeah. good. Is that good? Uh, well, that's just that's just stuff that's down in the abomasum. That's just abomasal fluid. Okay. In theory, in theory, I hope. Yeah. No, yours did sound. Yours do sound like a classic yeah. abomasum. Look. Yeah. No, that would have just been from the um, okay. from the from the fluid in there. Yeah. 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 So should should, should it should it should you sort of hear the gas coming out of the of the needle? Uh, yes, yeah, you should hear gas coming out. But you're making a good point that it's not always that easy, eh? Like you can know that there's a lot of gas in there yeah. and you can put the needle in and you just get froth coming yes. back. Yes. Yeah, which is super, which is very, very frustrating. Yeah. yeah. There are other times as well where that stomach isn't necessarily filled up with gas. That stomach might be filled up with fluid if you've got another issue. So you know how we were talking about the clostridial, toxic clostridials? Yes. 
Yeah, so there are some bacteria, some of the clostridial bacteria that cause a bloat further down. So they actually bloat up the intestines. Mm. And what happens is the intestines aren't moving properly. And so the stomach can't empty. Mm. So we see the stomach blowing up, but actually if you flip them on their back and put a needle in, or ideally if you put an ultrasound on, you'll just see a massive stomach that's filled with fluid. Mm. It's not actually gas in there. Yeah. So hopefully you pop them on their back, you put the needle in and you all the gas comes out. But some yeah, it's often it's not quite that simple. You know, if you have a gut twist, anything, obstruction, anything down the track that's stopping things from moving through, yes. it could be a stomach that's filled with fluid, not gas. And that's something you can't really treat at home. That is, well, it's not something, uh, yeah, yeah, you'd need to figure out what the issue is. I, I think if you're at home and you can't get to a vet, it's probably... Is probably going to be um, a euthanasia situation if they're already in a bad place. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, because something's stopping it from moving. Yes. It may well be a gut twist. You know, we see those like a um, yeah. where the gut's twisted around on itself. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that's certainly going to be a, a surgical fix and usually even difficult to fix with surgery. That's usually a euthanasia. Oh, wow. And, mm-hmm. and on that... Um, topic if if it came to that and you had to euthanize a lamb what at home what would your recommendation be in terms of how to do that how to euthanize yeah just what 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 do you think is the is the most humane way to to euthanize Mm. a lamb when when you're at home when you're on the farm yeah well, I hope people have a means of doing it because there, you know, there often are circumstances yeah. where you need to do that. Yeah. I don't know what the laws are like in Australia. I can, you know, in New Zealand, the the law is pretty clear for us. It says that an animal needs to be rendered insensible. It needs to be unconscious before you bleed it. Mm-hmm. So cutting something's throat while it's conscious is not an option. Not, yeah. Yeah, so for me, obviously, I have the luxury of drugs. So what I do is yeah. give a little injection to make it fall asleep and go lie down under a tree somewhere, and then I and then I stop its heart in vain. Yeah. Um. But you know they feel the needle, whereas a bullet is one hundred one hundred and fifty percent kind. That yes. if they don't know what's coming, you know, if yes. you can shoot something and you're a good shot, yeah, that is. It's not nice for a lot of people to see, but yeah. for the good of the lamb, it's instant. Yes, yeah. it is. What about mm-hmm. um, for like, like quite a young animal suffocation, so where you you suffocate them rather than shoot Oh, them? I, I actually, whew, does that happen over there? I, I mean, does that happen? It probably happens here. <laughs> um, yeah, no, that, that would be pretty poor welfare right there. Yeah, that would be a prolonged period of time where they are awake, conscious, and, and oh, suffering. Yeah. I, th- I think that would be very, that would be quite illegal, mm-hmm. um, I, I think, just, just on welfare grounds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I know, though, you know, if people, what, what do you do eh, if people don't have a gun yeah. on hand? Um, blunt force. I would say, yeah, yeah, that's a good point. I don't like to say, but something yeah. that's going to be absolutely instant, Wait. suffocating or bleeding them out while they're conscious is going to take yeah. minutes for them to lose yeah. consciousness. Blunt force, if you can bring yourself to do it, yeah, yeah, or or a shot or, or a bullet. shot, yeah. yeah, 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 for sure. I think that's. Thank is you that, for that kind of? I don't know what the laws. What do the laws say over there? Out of um, what, what's the I, I actually don't know. I actually genuinely oh. don't know. I know for us, if it's an older animal, we would shoot. 
Yeah, sure. But I wasn't sure what to do for a for a younger for a, like a literally a you know a week old lamb or something like that where you just decide yeah like I had one who um, he was born with a a little sort of a scar on his back hmm. um, with no wool at all just a little scar and I thought hmm. oh that's interesting and it was kind of hard. Um, and he was drinking and I said to one of my, my sheep friends, what would this be? And I sent them a picture and they said, it's probably an abscess, Jill. And mm-hmm. I said, well, he seems to be fine. And then he lost power of his back legs. Ah, yeah, spinal abscess. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. So, so I didn't quite know what to what to do. But a lot of my sheep friends would say, yeah, blunt force, just, ba- ba- you know, bang its head bang something yeah. on its head or bang its head against a post or something which oh I struggle but um, it's, isn't it horrible to do isn't it yeah yeah and shooting something with such a little head is yes. going to be yeah just horrific as well it's it's often like that isn't it you know I think it's often what looks the nicest and the easiest for us to do is actually the the worst, worst. for their like yeah. yeah 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 or um yeah yeah blunt, blunt force would probably be the way to go there mm. Mm. great stuff yeah. Wow. Well, um, yeah. What else? What else have we not covered? Go for it. Yeah. Can I just just throw yeah. one more thing out there because I just worry that something I said earlier might get misconstrued. Okay. In terms of bicarb. Yes. In terms of giving baking soda, um, I just want people to know because I know that if you Google it, that comes up as a treatment for bloating quite quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I did mention it before. It's important to give, but I I just want people to understand that using baking soda is not treating the bacteria. So that's not it's not treating the underlying cause. All that baking soda is doing is protecting the stomach lining from from uh, inflammation and ulcers. So we can get those bacteria in there causing so much inflammation in the stomach that we get ulcers, mm-hmm. uh, stomach ulcers that can work their way right through the stomach wall um, and even burst through the outside. And that's not uncommon for them to die with bloat and you open them up and they've actually got an ulcer that's burst through and milk wow. in the abdomen. Yeah, so that's why we're using baking soda. But if you're going to give baking soda, and absolutely do, it's like giving antacids. Yes. Give your baking soda to protect the stomach lining, but they're still going to need antibiotics, electrolytes until yogurt, um, and and underlying treatment for whatever the cause was. It doesn't kill bacteria. It doesn't doesn't diffuse gas bubbles or anything. Yeah. Yeah. So that was so, my that was my last final bit. No, that's really good. So with that bicarb, then is there any benefit to having free lick for your bottle fed lamb so they could they could lick it themselves, or or indeed is there any benefit to putting it in the milk to prevent? Yeah, uh, my understanding is is oh, do you know I was reading about this just recently? So it seems like back in the day there there was some research that said yes, adding bicarb mm. um it could help, but it hasn't really been well followed up from what I understand. Mm. Um yeah, I, I mean I, I personally wouldn't. Mm-hmm. I personally wouldn't. Having a salt lick is absolutely fine. Yeah. I think have, having a salt lick is is probably gonna be more negligible than anything. <laughs> if that makes sense you know they usually don't take in quite enough to really do a whole lot Um, but if you want to have one there it's it's almost certainly not going to do any harm and adding it to the milk I just think it's probably not quite well understood Mm. enough Mm -hmm. yet yeah so this each stomach chamber has a very specific pH level that it's supposed to sit at Mm. um so that everything can continue working in the way it does yeah and if we keep that pH 
if we throw off that pH for, you know, the, the acidity level, so if we're using bicarb for a long period of time, there's a very real risk that we are artificially altering the flora of bacteria that wants to live there. And we don't really want to do that. We want to have a natural, happy flora living there. Yeah. Mm. So that's just my opinion on it. I probably wouldn't go mucking yeah. around with that too much, but certainly have baking soda on hand okay. yeah, if a bloke case yeah. crops up. And, and mm. I mean, the free choice lick of, of bicarb in, in this case, you know, do you think a lamb would go to it if they needed it? Not necessarily, no. No. I, I mean, I would say almost certainly no. Have you heard differently? Well, I know that in for older sheep with, I think, the rumen bloat, which I know is a whole other conversation, um, yeah. the, there's, a, there's a suggestion there to put out free choice bicarb. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, the reason, my understanding is the reason that, that animals will usually go to a, a salt lick that, you know, that might have bicarb in it is, um, is if they're trying to supplement themselves. Mm. I can't see that. I, I can't imagine an, an animal knowing that they need to alter the pH of their stomach lining. Mm -hmm. You know, something would have to be in the bloodstream for them to, to, to get an inkling that they need to supplement themselves. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, what vets are, are generally taught is that salt licks are very hit and miss. Mm -hmm. They're very hit and miss, yeah, for animals to actually go. You know, a lot of people will try and use them to supplement selenium and copper and all that kind yeah. of jazz, magnesium and all that kind of jazz. If someone says, oh, I, I don't know what this could be. She's got a salt lick. I think, cool, that means nothing. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's they're very hit and miss, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I, I guess I don't. I, I don't have a whole lot more on there. My, my, yeah. My thought would be, no. It's it's yeah. probably not a good idea, and it's probably not going to do what it needs to do. But yeah. um, probably no harm. No harm mm. in having it out. Mm. Yeah, for rumen bloat in adults, that's interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting because it's yeah, rumen bloat in adults is a whole other kettle of fish. That's about eating too many legumes, stabilizing the yes. gas bubbles. Yeah, so, so that's acidosis a, really. To, to manage acidosis. Oh, the acidosis yeah. for rumen acidosis. Rumen acidosis. Sorry, yes. Gotcha. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. 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 No, I'm with you. Yes. <laughs> sorry. <Yeah. laughs> for rumen right. acidosis. That. No. No. I'm with you. I'm with you. Yeah. For rumen acidosis. Uh. Yes. Yep. Yep. We need to. We need a buffer in there. Yeah. yeah. In the past, people used to use magnesium. Um. Uh. To try and change. To try and buffer the inside of the rumen. Yeah. Yeah. They used to use that, but my. But now I've heard heard talk about how actually if you use that it causes more of an osmotic pull so more fluid gets pulled into the rumen um, so people have kind of gone away from that but um yeah yeah no for rumen acidosis for sure yeah you yeah. want to have bicarb yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> sorry i went on a big run no 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 no, no that's that's great that's great i think it's just <laughs> it's sort of perhaps highlighted how much we we need to explore the rumen just generally i think um, yeah, yeah, man, that's another two-hour conversation. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Thank you so much, Seth. It's just been amazing. I've really, I've really learned a lot, um, and uh, I'm sure our listeners will will just love it too. Because I mean, a lot of us, you know, we we you know we we sort of look at every every lamb as you know a, a life and trying to yeah. give it, it you know it's it's its best sort of start and. And a lot of them, I know for me, um, they'll they'll go on and and make 
smallholders, a lot of my bottle-fed lambs get get sort of sold as pets or whatever once mm. once they're drinking or once they're weaned. Um, you know, so we, we want to try and do the best we can for every single life that we have. So I really appreciate you talking to me. Now let's um, let's go back to your YouTube channel. How mm. h- how can people find you? Where can they find you? What can they do when they find you? Oh yeah, okay, yeah, sure. So so the it's obviously across YouTube. Um, so if you just type in says the vet, I'm on there. I always encourage questions uh, in the comments section on mm. says the vet because I really, you know, my goal for it is to help as many people as possible. And I think having the questions there is is going to be really useful for everyone. You know, everyone can kind of glean glean the um, knowledge from prior conversations. And mm. um, if you if you are more active on Facebook, then certainly on Facebook, Instagram as well. Just just go on to says the vet there. If you want to send me a private message. Uh, you're more than welcome to across the yeah. Facebook channel. Um, you know, sometimes people do that because they want to send a photo. Just keeping in mind that I just professionally, it's it's a little bit of a struggle to give really specific advice. You know, often um, my answer for a very sick animal is I would really need to examine it to give any more specific advice than this. Yeah. Um, but you're more than welcome. People are always more than welcome to reach out. I know a lot of people are in areas where they, they don't have access to a vet. So, yeah. I will try and answer as quickly as as I can for sure. Um, so yeah, that's how you find me. Great. Yeah. I'll, I'll put it in the show notes as well, so everyone can get can get the um, the link as well. And um, I guess su- subscribe. Subscribe, subscribe. <laughs> please do subscribe. Thumbs up. That's what thumbs tells up, me. If, know, thumbs up is the way I know if people are appreciating oh, the video or it goes way off the mark. So yeah, it just the topics go where the demand is. So if you have a request, the topics are based yeah. on requests as well. So okay. make a request in the comment section and, and yours will pop up. Right. Now it's mm. um you know I really enjoy it. Really enjoy your little videos. And you know, for 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 those of us who have other animals, you're doing stuff on chickens and hens and things like that recently. And, and yeah. you know, yeah. yeah, that's where the request took me. Heaps on that's poultry. Great. It's a big yeah, chicken Betsy is a is a growing <laughs> thing as well. Yeah. yeah, one of the things I really enjoyed recently too was your refugia is that how my mind oh you still there yeah yeah the worms of so the new the refugia is it the refugia the approach on worms fabulous youtube video on that so that's i've really really enjoyed that one that was really good and great Thank if you're you. a yeah. cheap show podcast listener definitely head over to check out that particular one because it really changes for me changes the ballpark on on how to prevent and and manage a worm burden in sheep Mm-mm, big time and it's a conversation everyone needs to be having yes. you know i feel like overuse yeah. of drenches you know and we do have a national plan in place refugia is a part of that so yeah. it needs to be talked about yeah so thank yeah. you do go yeah. listen to that for sure great stuff thanks so much says thank you so much for having me Thank you for listening to this episode of the Sheep Show podcast. Please take a moment to share this episode via your podcast app, email, or social media channels. Each share helps us reach listeners just like you who can benefit from our sheep-focused content. Let me know how your sheep journey is going. Contact me via Instagram at Halston Valley Farm or via email jill at halstonvalleyfarm.com.au. Until next time, sheep well.